Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 4th of June. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by Citizens Party founder and leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, stop Morrison evicting grandparents from their homes and breakthrough in the ultimate energy solution, fusion. But Craig, before we begin, housekeeping, uh, what's the 4th of June, end of this month, our relationship with Channel 31 comes to an end. Yeah. We've been on Channel 31 for about a decade. Um, it's, we didn't break off the relationship. The Morrison government and our favourite minister to hate, Paul Fletcher, the communications minister, has just um, canned Channel 31. Channel 31 was a very good community access TV service in its day. Every capital city had, had this community access television and organisations like us made great use of it. Right Now it's only left in Melbourne, and that comes to an end on... And Adelaide, but we're not... And Adelaide, sorry. Sorry, Adelaide. Adelaide's not an afterthought. Great place. Thanks for sending us the virus. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so that's, that's going to be it for us. So we're going to keep reminding people about our main presence on YouTube. What we need people to do is actually help us expand our YouTube presence. So I've got a thing that someone's told me to read here. Hit that like button so more people see this video. Make sure you never miss our shows by subscribing to our channel, our YouTube channel. And the way you do that is you click subscribe and then you hit the bell icon. And then to help increase our impact, share this video with your friends. And hopefully the content we go through will make you um, want to do that. Um, because, you know, just to, one thing we, we do on our show here is not just report the news, we report our intervention into politics what we do to make a difference. And if you've been following our campaigns, you'll see that that's actually working. So just on that, Craig, quick update on Australia Post. That's been the big campaign we've run. We were very happy last week on the show when we were able to talk about the, the Senate inquiry report. Brilliant, scathing report. Big, big implications for current Australia Post management, especially the chair. Um, la I want to play a video that of uh, last week in the Senate Senator Estimates, at Senate Estimates, Malcolm Roberts, the One Nation Senator, he confronted the Australia Post management about the report and he put them on notice that from now on the performance of Australia Post will be assessed by the public and by the politicians like him on how well the licensed post offices are doing. So just watch this. The description of your board chairman's behaviour in giving evidence to both Senate estimates and, and committee's subsequent inquiry has shown him to, at best, have an appalling memory and, at worst, have been deliberately evasive and misleading. I'll just relate a personal example, personal interactions with the LPOs, because this issue about what happened to Christine Holgate goes well beyond Ms Holgate. It goes to, the, goes to Australia Post. The ministers have done enormous damage, I believe, to Australia Post and to the LPOs. Now, I've been pursuing issues for the LPOs strongly and vigorously. We've gone out in, into the air regions and we've listened to people in the city LPOs and they have told us for years that their needs have not been met, they've not been listened to, they've been abused, they've been uh, trodden. So prior to Ms Holgate uh, becoming the CEO, that's the way the LPOs were treated. And what stunned me 
was the LPOs just swung straight in behind Ms. Hoggate, very, very strongly behind her. And they said that she actually told me later that due to my questions in Senate estimates, she said there's a problem here. And she went out and listened. And the LPOs were very, very grateful for that. And they swung in right behind her, Angela Cramp from the LPOs, very strong advocate. The LPOs were writing letters to us saying how much they appreciated Ms. Holgate. They've never had that kind of support, and now they've lost it. And the way she's been dismissed has left a lot of people wondering what's going on in, in Australia Post. That's why it's so important. Um, we do appreciate everything the LPOs do. Um, they're a very important part of, the, uh, of Australia Post. They will be for a long time to come, I hope. Well, we'll, we'll be assessing it by listening to the LPOs. As, as to what happens, Absolutely. because they're your, they're, they're Australia Post in many communities, and they're the community, they're the heart of many communities. So I want to heartily reiterate what Michael Roberts has just said. It was what he said was great. The way he said it was great. That is the issue. We were able to get a turnaround on this issue because we got the public to see what Christine Holgate did through the eyes of the licensed post officers. I mean, we will always be behind them now as they have their ongoing struggles to, to, to bring accountability to Australia Post. Licensed post office is how we inter intersect with the po with Australia Post. And also for us, Robbie, to, in our campaign to bring an, an Australia Post bank yep. into fruition, yep. make it happen, that will absolutely support the licensed post offices and that's, that's what our mission is. Well, we have just produced, we're, we're finalising today, Craig, a flyer which is four pages, which is the, the, the relevant text from the explanatory memorandum of our Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank bill. Um, call in and get a free copy of that if you want. We'll have a copy on our website you can get it as a PDF. That actually explains how the bank would work, and all, including how it would guarantee the viability of post offices, licensed post offices for the future. Mm. All right, so Definitely. we're escalating on that front. People should get involved. <clears throat> this is very important. If they want to keep their post offices in their area, this is the way to do it. Yeah, 100%. Now, let's take a break and we'll come back with the story about Morrison evicting grandparents from their homes. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Stop Morrison evicting grandparents from their homes. Now, Craig, there's more than 100 Australians, elderly Australians, most of them or a lot of them are in Mandurah in Western Australia. They are right now facing eviction from their homes because our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is Mr. Caveat Emptor. That's what we labelled him in three years ago, in, in uh, 2018. What does that mean? It means if you're ripped off in a financial scam, that's your fault. The words Caveat Emptor Latin means let the buyer beware. So we labelled, we gave Mr. Morrison this name in 2018 during the Banking Royal Commission. Because if you remember the Royal Commission, you know, revelation after revelation, shocking, the behaviour of the banks, right? It started in what, I think the, the, the hearing started in March, there's this, whoa, another one, whoa, they're charging dead people. You this, know, is, this is all this the commission he didn't want. He did not he, want. He voted 26 times against yeah. it, etc. And then, so in the middle of the year, one of the first things he says, oh, oh, I didn't reveal anything we didn't already know about. Oh, really? Right? People let him get away with that as well. Really, Mr. Morrison? He was treasurer then. Really, Mr. Morrison? You, you knew about this already, right? And you still voted to protect him from a royal commission? But that wasn't the most significant thing he said. The most significant thing he said was, was um, only a few people picked up on him. We were, we were some of them. Um, he and the boss of APRA, still Wayne Byers, 
APRA is the bank regulator, they decided to side with the banks. On the 11th of July 2018, Wayne Byers, the chairman of APRA, he took aim at the Royal Commission and he insisted that despite everything coming out of there, financial dealings must be governed by the principle of caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware. So that Royal Commission was just showing what a failure he had been as a regulator. The, right? the regulator whose job it is to protect yep. the, the buyer yep. is saying, no, 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 we, we don't have a role here. The buyer has to look after themselves. And then themselves. this callous bastard came out and said, no, yeah. it's your own fault if you get ripped off. That's what he meant. They, he didn't say it in those terms. That's what he meant. This is the characteristic of the, of, yep. of the Morrison government. So he was, the, he was the chair of... So what did Morrison do, the treasurer? A month later, he weighs in. And effectively, in his own words, says exactly what um, uh, Wayne Byers had said. He gave a, a, a speech to the Australian-British Chamber of Commerce on the 3rd of August that year. He said, too often we, the customers, have also become complicit in allowing the debt to be stacked against us. He said, you can guarantee it, the more passive a customer is, the worse deal they are going to get. And this, Robbie, is in a climate where... Financial speculation and gambling has become the norm. In other words, you've yep. got complex financial instru instruments that are cooked up, yep. you know, using mathematical models and so forth, like derivatives. These are at the back of the financial system. So you've got all these schemes that are designed to bring in and rip people off. Which the average and, person wouldn't have a clue, wouldn't have a prayer to be able to understand. This is why you need to have an effective regulator. Yep. But the regulators are only as good as a government in power because the regulators are uh, they're in a sense in a sense, as you've seen, protected by the government. Well, that's right. And the government's ideology is you're on your own people, right? And the proof is, since the Royal Commission, he's been Prime Minister the whole time, they have done nothing. In yeah. fact, they've done worse. They are trying to water down the law that gives a modicum of protection against bad lending practices by the banks, yep. right? So with that background, um, APRA is not the only regulator, Craig. We're going to talk about ASIC because that's the relevant one today. Oh, before we get into that, I want to probably, you got to I want you to see this cartoon because what Morrison has did in response to the Royal Commission is the complete opposite of what Franklin Roosevelt, President of the United States, did in 1933 when he became president because they, everyone was bankrupt because of the Great Depression and that, of course, had been triggered by the 1929 stock market crash. People had been ripped off every way, always to Sunday. He said, this is changing. It's no longer, he actually said, it's no longer caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, it's now let the seller beware. You're going to sell scamming, you're going to scam people with your bad products, you're in trouble. And that was the beginning of the era of, of proper financial regulation. And of course, that was included the Glass-Steagall Act, right, to keep the predators well away from ordinary people that we became used to, which they watered down in the 90s in the neoliberal era. So let's talk about ASIC though. ASIC is the corporate regulator as opposed to APRA being the bank regulator. Um, it was also shown up in the Royal Commission big time. And I just want to quote on the 7th of August, which was four days after Morrison's garbage about um, the, the victims of their own fault. There, the lawyer from ASIC, James Whedon, said on the drum, or a former ASIC lawyer uh, on the ABC, he said, I left ASIC in despair because it was captured by the banks. I was told as a lawyer in the regulatory branch of ASIC that my job was to deliver for the banks. When you hear ASIC chairman James Shipton saying, oh no, it's all good, there are no problems, we're the tough cop on the beat and there are, on the beat, sorry, and there are no historical problems, end quote, he doesn't seem to have heard the evidence from the Royal Commission. <laughs> and that brings us to what's happening with these elderly retirees um, who are victims of Sterling First. 
this, which is a, 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 a certain type of investment scheme that got scammed by. Mm. Yeah, well, that's, this is a scheme, Robbie, where uh, elderly people uh, live in a big property, they want to downsize. So, you know, they don't want to go into retirement village. Maybe they haven't got enough equity to do that. So they say, OK, well, this scheme looks pretty good. What, what, what did it do? Well, Sterling first says, well, if you pay us, you know, $250,000 to $300,000, we will guarantee you that you can rent a property for 40 years. Which is effectively life for them. L life for them, yeah. So that money came into Sterling First. Now, Sterling First didn't own the properties. It was simply taking the money in and it would pay the landlords. Yep. So it was the middleman. So you have the elderly people paid this money to a middle company, which then paid the landlords. But now, of course, where all that money, it was about 18, 17, 18 million dollars involved here. That money's evaporated and the people are looking at eviction. Sterling collapsed into receivership in 2019. They started doing this in 2015. They collapsed into receivership in 2019. Why is this ASIC's fault? ASIC knew the directors of this company, Sterling First, were dodgy completely dodgy and they allowed them to start the company and they ignored multiple complaints that started in 2015, the very year they started, which at the time they got their first complaint, there was about $400,000 this company had collected from elderly people, mm -hmm. right? Within a few years, it was multi-millions and they ignored those complaints. This company went and got more and more people into this scheme. There was a giant Ponzi scheme. You massive, were... massive thing. So who are the people involved? I'll just give you two figures as a, as a for example. That one of the directors of Sterling First is Ray Jones. He was a key figure in a scandal in the, in, the, in the 90s called Geneva Finance, whereby he controlled two companies, Geneva Finance and Rural Property Trust. Geneva Finance would, would get um, lend to struggling farmers to sell their land to Rural Property Trust, and then Rural Property Trust would lease it back to them, right? And he's controlling both sides of that. That all went under. Um, uh, Eventually, ASIC said, oh, we don't have enough to charge him on, or the, the predecessor of ASIC at the time. Nevertheless, he went bankrupt. He was discharged from bankruptcy in 2015, the year he started this scam, mm -hmm. right? Um, another guy is Simon Bell, another director involved in a disastrous property uh, development Ponzi scheme called West Point. Um, ASIC was fir had first received complaints about this company in 2001. Um, nevertheless, didn't do anything. It collapsed in 2005, lost its investors $388 million. Um, its auditor, the, the auditor of this particular company, West Point, was KPMG. Later on, when ASIC's looking at what's happened to now Sterling Finance, that this guy, Simon Bell, is the director of, they get KPMG to look at it, right? It's, it's, all, it's all a mess. One, one thing, Robbie, could be done here is this is a situation where if you're part of a financial directorship here and you fail, you should never hold a license again in your lifetime. Go pick mushrooms or something, yep. but don't if, become if a director. Yeah, if you, when you Again. say fail, if, especially if you rip people off. Right? If you've point. got victims in your wake, sorry, you're not... Never have a licence to be a director of a company again because you've proven you can't do it. They're tough, tough bickies. So ASIC ignored the warnings and it failed in its job to protect these people from these cowboys. Yep. Here's the tragedy now. Out of desperation, um, two of the victims took their landlord to court, uh, who has now evicted them, and this week in the Perth Supreme Court, Craig, they lost their case. And I just want to play the clip from Channel 10 on that. A kick in the guts for these retirees. Their life savings lost in the failed Sterling First scheme. Now the Supreme Court's ruled to kick them out of their homes. I've got nowhere to go. They're going to take me out of there in a wheelchair. I'm not moving out. 
Lou and Laurie Thomas paid Sterling first $230,000, thinking they were securing a lifetime lease agreement. But when the company folded in 2019, their money was lost. The pensioners hoping their 40-year lease would still be honoured because it was paid up front. Supreme Court Justice Smith didn't agree, saying while both parties involved were innocent, the couple has 30 days to pack up and move out. I'm really surprised that it's gone against us. We've got nowhere to go. We'll be left with nothing. Today's decision sets precedent for more than 100 other victims who are also fighting to stay in their homes. They're now worried as their day in court comes, they'll also be given a countdown to move out. The throne is out in the street. 70, 60, 70, 80, nearly 90-year-old people out in the street. You know, we didn't do anything wrong. You know, all we did was prepaid our rent for the rest of our lives to live in comfort. The retirees will now look for compensation and want the backing of Premier Mark McGowan to take their complaint to the federal government. McGowan needs to do something about it. Steph Baumgartel for 10 News First. So, Craig... Our friend, the great, genuinely great Denise Braley, is advocating for these victims. Denise, we've interviewed her many times from the Banking and Finance Consumer Supporters Association. She should be running ASIC, this woman. She's done more to clean up or expose financial crimes in Australia than they have ever done, these, these bastards. Um, she is demanding the Morrison government pay the $18 million to cover the losses of these retirees so they don't lose their homes. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely, Robbie. Look, you've got, a, you've got a, a regulator that's protected by the government. The government is saying you're on your own. This is the nature, this is the terrible nature of the Morrison government, yep. particularly Scott Morrison personally. Just have a look at what he did to Christine Holgate. That nastiness, right, that's what permeates this government. And the problem is that when you have regulators that are in that, that mode, that are protected by that sort of person, then you're going to have these. Well, they look at problems. a situation like this as how do we cover our ass, yes. not how do we solve the problem. So if it comes back to the you know the role of government. It comes back to you know, put someone like Denise Braley in charge of ASIC. You won't have these problems. Yep. You ban directors for life if they're involved in financial scams like this. That's obvious stuff. But of course, a lot of the the scams and so forth protect yep. the politicians. Right, they they like to be hiding behind uh, all sorts all sorts of red tape, so these people get away. Yeah, with. A, a, a company like Sterling Financial, uh, Sterling First, it's not probably the government probably doesn't care about protecting them, but the behaviour of ASIC is what's key because the, the the structure of ASIC is what allows the whole banking system to do what it does, and if, they don't want to change that. If the scheme was properly regulated, Robbie, it might have worked. Well, sure. Right? It was obviously an, an idea that people said, oh, this is a good idea. Yeah, don't problem, blame the no, people There was no regulation it. behind it. There yeah. was no protection, which those people expected. Yeah. And that's where the problem comes. You should be able to be protected from cowboys that have, had, that, have, that have victims in their wake. That's right. All right, thanks. Let's go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a great science breakthrough. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Finally, breakthrough in the ultimate energy solution, fusion. So Craig, there is, has been a very big breakthrough in fusion research. The breakthroughs happened in China. We're gonna play a clip in a minute. Um, it has this fusion reactor, Takamak reactor, it's called the art, it's calling its artificial sun. This week it generated a record temperature of 120 million degrees for 100 seconds. Wow. And then 160 million degrees for, for 20 seconds. Right, this is huge for the future. If your kids are stressing, 
because they've been told the world's going in because of climate change. Tell them, don't fret. Play them videos like this, mm. right? Because this, um, this solves everything. We can, if we can harness abundant fusion energy, it solves all energy problems on Earth using deuterium in seawater as a fuel. One litre of seawater contains as much energy as 300 litres of petrol. Right? That's what we're talking about. And then it has other potentials like what's called the fusion torch, 100% recycling of everything. You attach a, like a furnace that's at these super high temperatures next to your fusion reactor, and you can put all your rubbish in there, and it doesn't burn it. What it does, it, it disassociates the atoms and spits out all these pure elements that, those th that matter have been comprised of, right? Yeah. So let's play the clip from Chinese television explaining what's happened. People will get burned up when too close to the sun. But there is a place hotter than the sun in this beauty. I'm Xu Yue with Xinhua News Agency. We're now in East China's Anhui province, where China's artificial sun is located. Today, a new world record might be burned here. Scientists here is about to generate a temperature seven times as hot as the sun's interior and make it last for over 100 seconds. So now let's get inside and witness history. The artificial sun is officially called the Experimental Advanced Superconducting Tokamak, or EAST. The ultimate goal of EAST is to create nuclear fusion like the sun, using deuterium that abounds in the sea to provide a steady stream of clean energy. After waiting anxiously for a day and night, I'm so excited to announce that EAST has just set a new world record of reaching an electron temperature of 120 million degrees Celsius for a period of 101 seconds. Maintaining a stable plasma state at such a high temperature of 100 million degrees Celsius is a necessity to generate fusion energy. As opposed to fossil energy resources such as coal, oil and natural gas, which are in danger of being exhausted and pose a threat to the environment. Raw materials required for the artificial sun are almost inexhaustible on Earth. It is considered the ideal ultimate energy. Scientists believe that the experiment paves the way for China to build its own nuclear fusion energy station. Since its operation in 2006, the Chinese designed and developed East has also become an open test platform for both Chinese and international scientists to conduct fusion-related experiments. And Craig, isn't this why the world should be cooperating instead of competing? Robbie, we wrote about this uh, about 20 years ago now, coming up to 20 years, and the point is you use these high technologies to develop new 
modes of, of dealing with the problems in the world, you don't shut down this sort of creativity. In fact, that I, yeah. I was surprised to see this come from China because they've been working on fusion reactions for a long time. So this is a genuine breakthrough. 9% of their research budget goes into fusion. And that's, that's the huge. point. That's why you get breakthroughs. All right, thanks everyone for tuning into the Citizens Report. Remember, like this video, do all those things I said at the beginning, share it with everybody, help get us more viewers on this platform because it's our platform going forward. Craig, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Thanks for the viewer. Tune in next week for more.